0: Welcome back to Careers Explained. This week we're getting an inside scoop of Luke Burton's career path and his current role as a 401k advisor at Narwhal Capital Management. Welcome Luke and thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you, Heidi. Super excited. Before the the mics got hot, we were just talking about (laughs) our our backgrounds. And I didn't say this, but I was also a psych major just like you.
0: I am excited to dig into that because I bet most people wouldn't have guessed that your major was psych at hearing your job title now. But before we get into that, can you give us a little background on yourself, um, where you're from and your education?
1: Totally. So I'm from Kennesaw, Georgia, which is about an hour north of Atlanta. Um, I was homeschooled until my sophomore year of high school and kind of fell into a really good school for the second half of high school where I also started swimming. and that's what led me to Davidson. I showed up at Davidson and met the coaches and I was a really bad swimmer, but they <laughs> somehow allowed me to join the team. and so I chose Davidson. There was the only school I applied to. Um, I got in early and uh, never looked back. so, had an awesome experience at Davidson, really loved the swimming uh, culture and the team and got into psychology because of a one-on-one class with Dr. Boyd. It was amazing, it was very challenging, and I'm not a math person at all. I recognized (laughs) that when I took stats and barely barely made it through, Uh, but was not a math person, uh, have never been quantitative, but I've always loved people and been intrigued By just navigating relationships and even the clinical side. So for the first half of school, I was thinking about clinical, really wanted to explore just being a therapist, what that would look like, you know, what school options were there. And then I took uh, a senior year seminar where we talked about the ethics of therapy. And I realized, you know what? That would be really tough. I don't know if I want to do that. (laughs) So I kind of peeled away from that and looked more into the consulting world Uh, and there's some really good uh, organizational development resources at Davidson, which was great to stumble into and basically was feeling lost at the end of senior year. And as you can probably relate, Heidi, most people are either going to grad school or going into banking or consulting. Those are like the big three. (laughs) Um, And I had no interest in any of those, so I ran away to Colorado and worked on a ranch for two years (laughs) (laughs) and just said, you know what, I'm just going to hit pause. And it was the best decision I ever made. Absolutely. I met so many people out there that actually helped shape kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, The ranch was a guest ranch. So people would come from around the world to ride horses and see the mountains. And so I got to meet all these people, all these business owners. And through that journey, realized that, you know what, I have to find some intersection of relationship and business. I love both these things. I got to keep tracking it down. Um, And while I was out there, got the opportunity to come back to Atlanta and work with family. My dad owns a uh, investment firm here in Atlanta. And so he was chugging along doing his thing, but they were looking to expand some new business lines. And so he came out and basically said, Hey, I want you to interview uh, with the folks that are, are running the firm day to day. I want you to see if there's anything of interest. And that's what I did three years ago. And it's been a wild ride since then.
0: So much to unpack there. I'm fascinated by everything you just said, starting with homeschool to then calling yourself a bad swimmer as a D1 athlete. You don't hear that every day. So humility check there. So going back to the ranch, what were some questions that you asked that helped you figure out what you wanted to do?
1: Strangely enough, I had kind of run away from psychology and run away from therapy, but I realized that most people, when you actually dig down and talk about money, it becomes a therapy session. And hmm. so I found this weird intersection where my job was to be in the mountains on horses with people. There's no cell service. There's no way for them to escape. And we were out there for four hours a day. So I could really like get in and interrogate people on their lives, which I loved. Uh, you know, a captive audience. And so I would get to ask people that were super successful in the real world, you know, all kinds of questions. And at the bottom of it, I realized that there's a huge appetite for trust in those relationships. You know, like people that have been successful are not just going to go online and Google financial advisor and click on the first link and go with them. There has to be something there. Uh, and I'm also not a salesy person. I hated, I've always hated getting sold to. And, um, so I thought, you know, there's, there's a way for me to chase this down. And that's basically what my job has become. Even though there's different, uh, outside aspects of it, as far as what I'm doing externally at the end of the day, my job is to build trusting relationships with people so that we can help them get to a better place financially, whether that's a business a business owner, uh, someone in their 20s that just, you know, got their first promotion and they have more money and they know what to do with.
0: So as someone who describes themselves as bad at math and never quantitative, your job title sounds quantitative. Is that misinterpretation? What does your day look like? Are you just meeting with people or is there any number crunching?
1: So a quick summary of my role is I'm a 401k advisor. So small businesses will hire me and my team to basically manage their entire 401k plan. And for those that don't know, a 401k is basically just a retirement account that a company has sponsored, right? So you've probably heard the term IRA, like Roth IRA. All of those are retirement accounts that the government incentivizes people to use by giving you tax breaks on them. So you can go out and start your own IRA at Fidelity right now, probably in five minutes. The 401k is the exact same structure, exact same tax benefits. It's just that the company has decided to, to sponsor it, they've put it on. And it's usually as a benefit to the employees to keep people around to increase retention. And, you know, if you care about your employees, you'd like to see them have money in retirement. So generally, it's nice because our clients have their employees best interests at heart and they really want the plan to work well. And so that's where we come on. We're not a requirement for people to have, but as far as compliance with all the legal work and then also just being a resource for people, education, You know, when folks wanna take a loan out of their 401k or maybe they're going through a hardship, like a medical issue or they can't pay student loans and they have to take a loan out, that's a lot of my job is coaching people through that and not just giving them the best recommendation, but soothing their fear. And that's that's the best part of my job ultimately is you ask about the quantitative side, there is some level of understanding on the quant side. Most of it, if you know Excel, like if you know Excel 101, you're pretty much good. Uh, the hard part is navigating First of all, all of the rules and the buzzwords around finance which can be really intimidating, but also just people. You know, people and money are tough and it's it's tough for each individual person in individual ways.
0: From getting into your dad's business to where you are now knowing all the financial buzzwords, what were the steps in between there?
1: So, I basically realized that I'm never going to specialize on the quant side. I'm never going to be the one that's analyzing companies or building out a model to you know, predict the future of the markets. And my dad is that. He's the client. He's also got a great eye for hiring. And so we have an incredible team on that side of the office that that's all that they do is they're constantly analyzing the markets. They are uh, managing portfolios for individual clients, so separate from the 401ks they're doing a lot of the work in the weeds. And so for the first year that I worked here, I didn't give any advice to anybody. I sat in a lot of meetings and I basically just learned as much as I could from them. There's the idea of, I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. In the category of weaknesses, I'm going to aim for competency. I'm gonna aim for proficiency, right? But I'm not gonna aim for excellence because I know that that's not where I need to be running. And my strengths, which are relationship management, you know, one-on-one conversations, uh, even selling to a certain extent, I'm going to run as hard as I can. But in order to do that, I have to sit and listen and gain that competency first.
0: So one year of training, essentially.
1: Pretty much. And is and that
0: standard for most roles as a 401k advisor from, in your company?
1: Yes. So and this is probably good advice for anybody looking in to the finance industry on the advisory side. Um so this would be separate from working at an investment bank. This would be more of working at like a wealth management firm or working for a financial planner, somebody that deals with individuals rather than with big mergers and acquisitions and everything. For folks on the advisory side most people need a basic certification, which looks different in each state. For me, it was something called the Series 65, but the bottom line is that those certifications usually take three to six months to study for and pass. Some people a little bit shorter, some people a little bit longer, but that's kind of the baseline. And so the typical path that we see for people right out of college is that they will join a firm, They'll start out doing a lot of back office work, paperwork, nothing super fun. But again, gaining the proficiency and understanding of how things work. And while they're doing that, they're studying for that certification. Once they pass, then they're legally considered an advisor, and they can actually give out advice to people. Um, before that point, you don't you don't want to be telling people how to manage for retirement when you know you're still in the textbook. So. Uh, p- Exactly. Yeah. So usually it's about a year, I'd say. Um, but each firm is, is different. So it's also dependent on your background. You know, if you have, if you come out of school, and maybe you already have your MBA, you jump straight to grad school, then uh, it might be shorter. If, if you're jumping majors, like you were an anthropology major, and now you wanted to get into uh, finance, then it might take a little bit longer.
0: And you have a psych background. So for you, what was the transition like from psych to this role with a mixture of qualitative and quantitative aspects?
1: The jump wasn't super hard for me because a lot of the material on the advisory side, it kind of plays in the psych realm as far as a lot of it is ethics, ultimately, which psychology also digs pretty deep into. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, again, you're dealing with people's money. And there's a lot of sharks out there, not to scare people away mm-hmm. uh, from the finance industry. I'd say that there's less sharks now than there have been as, as regulation has increased and people have just gotten savvier in general. But there's still people out there that will take advantage of you. And we see it all the time when we get new clients that come in. And it's clear that the people that they were with before just didn't take care of them. And it's always it's sad to see. And it unfortunately, it's usually uh, folks that are elderly and just simply didn't know any better or didn't know how to research what was better. And so for me, that, that mentality of constantly thinking in that way carried over pretty easily to finance.
0: And did you have to do any training on your own before, say the interview process for this role, or you actually started like learning Excel or skills like that?
1: So I worked for another, uh, investment firm in Wilmington, North Carolina, for about eight months. And that was a purely back office role. And I was just helping out, but it was small enough. I think it was three partners. So I was able to see a lot of the aspects of how it worked. So when I showed up, I, ha- I did have a baseline understanding of how things kind of operated in most firms. But I would say that the best advice that I would give to anybody looking to get into this world it's really exciting. I, I would encourage anybody that's kind of questioning, hey, where should I go with life? Um, this is a great space to play in because you really can choose the side that you wanna be on between relational or quantitative. There's a ton of opportunity for analysts out there um, as far as you know, digging into the portfolio side, digging into the market side, and that is super fascinating. But there's also a ton of opportunity on the relationship side. And usually there's a blend of the two. So it's great for liberal arts majors that, you know have worked hard, are relationally savvy and kind of want that back and forth challenge. But to get to my advice, it would be to research the basic certification that's, that's in your state or your area. There's a couple new ones that have come out that are kind of like general tests that you can take. And again, expect three to six months of studying Um, but go ahead and study for that certification. You can't actually take it until you've been sponsored by a firm. So you have to have a job with them and they have to like put you into the test. But if you walk into the interview and you say, hi, my name is Heidi. I'm a psych major, but I've been studying for this test for the last six months because I know this is what I want to do. So as soon as I'm ready to actually take it, I know I can pass. Here's all my practice tests. That's like a huge stamp of approval. Um, and it's a great way to get ahead of the game and crush it in interviews to basically say, look, I already have skin in the game. I've studied for a test that I can't even take yet, but I know this is the route I want to go.
0: Absolutely. Talk about being proactive. That's what it comes <laughs> to be here. I've done your job. All you have to do is sign. Yeah. I've trained myself. And if you don't go that route, which now all the listeners will, because they have your advice if you didn't does the company is that part of your day to day in the back office that they're basically paying you to study for this or is that on your own time after work on weekends
1: it's usually built in it's usually as part of the job okay um and there's usually a promotion or some sort of salary bump attached so Good that's incentive. and it's that's an incentive but again it's another great reason to to maybe get a head start on it and At the very least, by studying the material, you'll know if it's for you or not. I mean, it's not not the full uh, exposure to everything that you'll encounter, but it's enough to realize, okay, this is something that I could engage with and possibly pursue a career in.
0: That's great advice. And for people interested in this role as they're studying for the interview, what should they expect in a typical interview?
1: So it would depend on the role um, because if, you know, If you're doing more back office work, it's going to be details. If it's relational, they're going to want to maybe throw some case interviews at you and see how you would respond to different situations. If it's a quantitative analyst role, then you might actually have to do some math on the fly. So it could be a mix of everything. I would say uh, the biggest thing in our industry is attention to detail because one little mistake can can have huge consequences. Uh, There's a waterfall effect. You know, if you, if you miss one digit in a wire transfer, I mean, your client could be missing $200,000 or a million, you know, it's, it's kind of terrifying sometimes. It's, (laughs) we do a lot of double, triple and quadruple checking things for that reason. So I would say uh, if, if attention to detail is something uh, that you struggle with, you're good at whatever, make sure that that's, First and foremost, in the interview that you put that up there, uh, and the second thing is that it's always a bonus to be uh, a friendly face, right? We're in the people business. Even if you never get your certification or you never become an advisor, uh, people in this world want to hire folks that are friendly, that will show up to company events, that will chat up the clients. They just enjoy being around people. Now, if you're a total Excel wizard, and you're just going to crush it making models all day, that's fine. You can sit in your cave and be grumpy and, you know, just hang out. But if there's any part of the job that that involves interaction, you know, play up the friendly side for sure.
0: Yeah. Extra credit for people's skills in the interview and beyond. How would people prepare for that? Or how did you, For it varies by role, but you mentioned case interviews, whether it's quantitative or social, what did you do to prepare?
1: So on the relational side, um, there's a certification out there called the uh, certified financial planner. And financial planners are folks that they would sit down with you and they would chart out the next 40, 50, 60 years of your life. Depending on how old you are, they'll literally talk about your, your death plan like how much money will you have on your deathbed, which is kind of terrifying, but um, (laughs) it's a really cool job. And, and there is a, there is a quantitative aspect in that you're calculating, uh, you know, returns over time, but Mm -hmm. a lot of it is more therapeutic and saying, Hey, let's build out a budget for your family. Let's build out a plan. Let's actually know what's going on. So to answer your question specifically, as far as prep, I would, I would go online and Look at the free resources that are available. so if you're if you're looking more on the certified finance or the relational side, look at the certified financial planner materials. Just Google it, and there's going to be free stuff. And just see there's case studies there. Read about what that job would entail, and kind of put yourself in their shoes. Um, if you're on more of the quantitative side, there's some awesome courses out there. Uh, the one that I'm using right now to, teach myself some more about modeling is a simplemodel.com. Yeah. I've, yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm actually not using it right now. I'm just kind of procrastinating using it and talking about using it, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> but there are so many resources for people that are looking to get in the industry and just get a little bit more experience under your belt. Unfortunately, it's tough to get it until you're actually in the room.
0: That makes sense. But it's good to know that there are free resources. And through talking to people such as you in the role, you can get a better understanding of whether it might be a good fit and whether to invest that time into the free resources. Totally. Going into your typical day, you mentioned a lot of relations, but can you walk us through kind of an average week? Are you in meetings all day with clients? Are you prepping models or learning Excel? What does it look like?
1: Totally. So. Oh man, the average week is not average, (laughs) but I would say that the majority of my time is spent in meetings with folks that are all the way around the spectrum of super casual, just hanging out and having that personal touch, all the way up to, you know, let's plan the next 40 years of your life. So it always varies based on the client. Um, And I'd say a quarter of those meetings are with prospective clients, you know, people that. We don't have on board yet, but I'm just laying the groundwork uh, and trying to build that relationship like we talked about earlier. So majority is meetings. Again, we have a really solid team on the other side of our business. um, That digs in on the actual market and the buying and selling of stocks and bonds. And so a lot of times I work as the intermediary between our clients and those folks. Um, and I have to make a delineation here. We started out talking about the 401k side of the business, which is my primary role. Um, but it's also important to note that we work with individuals too. And so my life is split. So some days I'm working on 401ks, which means I'm going into businesses and I'm sitting down with the employees of that business. And we're having 10 to 15 minute meetings where it's just a check-in. You know, They're not a full-blown client of ours but I'm there to help them out. And those are really fascinating and satisfying meetings because in 10 to 15 minutes, we can take someone from financial literacy of maybe a four out of 10 to a seven out of 10, really, really quickly. Um, On the other side with our individual clients, most of these folks are already successful. They've made money somehow and they've come to us to help manage it because they just don't have the time or the expertise or whatever. So those conversations look very different because, you know, their baseline understanding of how the market works or the difference between a stock and a bond is much higher already. So that's always an an interesting part of my job is jumping from different levels of financial literacy Mm -hmm. and talking to somebody that, you know, doesn't really understand how their mortgage works to somebody that maybe has already been involved in the market for 40 years, they just have too much money, which I guess is a good problem to have. (laughs) And so they've come to us for help. So um, as far as an average week, it can look very different based on which side I'm, I'm kind of swinging towards, whether it's the 401ks and I'm just working with folks that are just ground level, or I'm on the individual client side and maybe it's a little bit more strategy focused.
0: And is the individual client side what you call the financial planner? Or is that just a typical other half of the role of 401k advisor?
1: So that would be more financial planning on the individual client. Um, financial planning is is kind of a subsection of uh, wealth management. So to break it down, and I'm getting granular here, but- Good um, overview. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: People probably yeah. don't know. I don't know.
1: <laughs> to give the overview- Let's say that you came to us as a client and you had a uh, hundred thousand dollars, right? So you hit the lottery, you got a hundred grand, that's it's scenario. in
0: cash. sign me up.
1: Yep, yep. <laughs> Fingers crossed, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you've got the money, you don't know what to do with it. You would come to us, and we would charge you a fee of one percent to invest that money for you, and that's a pretty standard fee across the board, like most. Uh, investment firms will be anywhere from one percent, give or take uh, twenty-five basis points, either way. And a basis point is one percent of one percent. Again, the quant side. That's all I know. That's all I know. I promise. That's um,
0: good. <laughs> that's all we that
1: We would charge you one percent, so you would pay us thousand dollars of your hundred thousand dollars every year in order to invest your money. We would take your hundred thousand and put it into the stock market. So. We're researching which companies we like. Um, we're researching which companies we don't like, and we're basically placing your money and saying, "Okay, Heidi, you're going to have three thousand of your dollars in Apple and two thousand of your dollars in Coca-Cola," and we're monitoring those companies over time. So that's kind of the the basis of what we do. Is that's wealth management? It's like we take your money and we invest it for you. Now, as a part of that, we can bring in our financial planning team and the financial planners, they will look at your life and say, okay, Heidi, you're spending, you know, you're spending $50,000 a year and you only have a hundred thousand dollars. So we got to, we got to trim back the spending a little bit and adjust your budget. And okay, maybe, you know, you just got a dog and now we have dog expenses to think about. And how much money do you want to leave to your dog when you pass away? So there's, that's like more of, the long term planning aspect. Whereas the investment management is just day in, you know, week in and week out, year in and year out. How is your money invested in the market?
0: And on the pay side of that, you mentioned 1% original fee. Is there yep. a commission on gains?
1: Nope. So we don't earn anything else. The only way that we make more money is if you put more money in the account or if the account grows.
0: It likely do if you made more money on it. So
1: it's yep. Yep. incentive
0: for you guys to do your job. So that's a totally. good win situation.
1: And that's, I mean, I can't speak to everyone out there, but I would say that if you are in a position where you need a financial advisor, stay away from the commission related people. They still exist. It's kind of dwindling, but there is a there is a subset of advisors out there that they take kind of like a second cut, right? So if mm-hmm. if they sell you a certain product, then they get a cut of that. And so there's there's kind of a, an incentive, an embedded incentive for them to put you in certain things. Whereas for us and for most advisors, when it's just a, a flat annual fee, it's just like I said, you either give us more money or we make it for you, but that's the only way. If you lose money, we're losing money with you.
0: <laughs> exactly, you're on the same team, so you totally. have third alliance. That's a good yep. description, and I would have fallen for the commission. So thank you for the <laughs> financial advice. And so, in your company, what are the opportunities for moving up? It sounds like you're kind of already on your way between a four hundred one k advisor and financial planner. Is that how the latter works, or just your case?
1: Yeah, so we we're an interesting firm in that there's a lot of independence here. So people kind of have silos that they work in. And we're only about 16 full-time employees. So there's not a ton of people running around and like competing for different positions, Uh, which is cool because myself and the folks kind of at my level, we're all in our 20s, like mid to late 20s. We all really enjoy hanging out. And we're also in this really cool position where we can kind of run with our own little businesses, right? We have these we these businesses inside the greater business. Um so like to give you a little more clarity, for me, my little business is the 401k advisory services. Uh for Melissa who's right next door to me, she's our financial planner. So she is the financial planning business and she gets to basically adjust the momentum of that, you know, like she's working really hard on that front. So Um, there's a lot of kind of little kingdoms within the bank kingdom. And the way that you move up is basically just growing your line of business. You know, if you're at a point where you've got more clients than you do time, then we start talking about adding help in.
0: For your role in your kingdom, you mentioned what it looks like in an average day, but how would you Describe those meetings with companies a little bit more. So you're meeting with the originally the employers to talk about what kind of benefits, but then how do you get from that initial prospective client to having 15 minute meetings with individual employees?
1: Totally. So the the short answer is cold calling. <laughs> Basically, sales. Um, it <laughs> it's, it's a wide world out there, and I never would have signed up for cold calling if I knew this involved it, but <laughs> you know what? We're here and we're learning. There and it's go. actually been, it's been very enjoyable kind of getting out of my comfort zone that way. Um, and so the new clients that we brought on have been a mix of people that we already knew, but also people just off the street that we found businesses that were local. And I'll be honest with you, we resort to bribery often. I spend about <laughs> a week on Chick-fil-A and it's all for these businesses. So my intro line is basically, you know, I'm Luke, I'm a 401k advisor. You know, we really like to get in the weeds with employees. Like most advisors just kind of show up once a year and leave a brochure and they wear a suit and tie. No, I'm there. I'm wearing blue jeans. I'm bringing chicken biscuits I'm shaking hands. Like we want to (laughs) go. Exactly. Totally. So that's, that's the play is to say, Hey, you know, we want to offer you a level of service that most advisors don't. And we're willing to give you a discount and I can be at your office next week with 50 chicken biscuits. (laughs) And if I get the foot in the door there, then that usually means that a, they're looking to change. Um, Or B, they really care about their employees and they're thinking, you know, this is an opportunity for us to kind of ramp up the level of service that that we're getting.
0: So once you get into the room with my company, I'm the CEO, I
1: cold
0: call because I'm a sucker for Chick-fil-A, where do you start?
1: So I'll start with their plan. And this is the nice thing about 401k plans is that every year 401k plans are required to file um, a form with the department of labor that has all of the information about their plan. So (laughs) exactly. It's not all, it's not up to date obviously because it's kind of on a year lag, but based on that form, I can usually come away with a couple of talking points of, you know, Hey, you've got low participation in your plan. Basically, you know, 50% 50% of your employees are involved. What's up with the other 50%? Why aren't they putting money in? Um, so a couple of talking points there, uh, but a lot of it is asking questions. And that's what I've had to learn is that, again, going back to the therapy session, Yeah. you got to find, and I think this is probably true of sales in general, but you got to find their pain point as quickly as you can because people love to talk about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can find something that they've already been complaining about, that they love to complain about, then you kind of let them talk themselves into you getting hired in a way. Um, so that's a lot of what I do is just follow the rabbit trail. You know, they're upset because their guy hasn't shown up in a year. All right, well we show up every quarter. You know, just kind of the follow and response method. Uh,
0: you're you're selling me. I'm. <laughs>
1: Come on, Heidi, hire us.
0: On the map, I am. <laughs> I'm that this sounds awesome. The interaction, the diversity in your day to day of who you talk to and what you talk about sounds great. And then also the nature of your company being very small. What is it like socially? I imagine you're probably a tighter knit group than maybe a big corporate company.
1: I'd say so for sure. Everyone here is friends. Um, we hang out outside of work a good amount. And I'd say that our office is definitely on the more casual side. Um, Everyone, everyone wears a collar, but there's no suit and tie. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the feel. Um, So it's nice. I mean, we spend a lot of time, we try to get a lot of meals together. And for me, the biggest thing is just working with people. My age is really nice. It's tough sometimes in the finance world, because, you know, if you are, 60 years old, and you've made millions of dollars in your lifetime, are you really going to entrust me with all of that? You know, I'm 28. Uh, the answer is probably no. And so there's definitely kind of a, a gray hair bias with advisors, where older folks want older advisors, totally understandable. I think because we have so many young people here, and a few people with more experience kind of running the show, Yeah, it, it definitely helps with that.
0: And what characteristics do you think have made you successful in your role or would make anyone successful in that role?
1: Oh man, I would say details number one. Yeah. And this was something that I really struggled with early on and still struggle with. (laughs) Um, And so it's funny because I have, right now I'm working uh, with an intern that started with us in February and we're talking about details together And I feel like I'm talking to myself, you know, Um, so sometimes I feel hypocritical kind of coaching him along on stuff, but it's absolutely details because again, this is, we're talking about people's money that they have earned and you can't treat that lightly at all. And even if you're never touching money, like even if you're not moving money, it's still, there's still a high standard, you know, there's a really high standard for communication and timeliness and just being on top of it. So that's been huge for me. Uh, The second has been, I think, self-education in a way, because at at a certain point in this world, I mean, you can continue kind of chasing certifications, but a lot of it is just getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, And I think that's particular to our company and some of the independents I mentioned. But for instance, on on the 401k side, all of the sales stuff that we just talked about, that's taken some time for me to get confident doing, you know, it was really scary. And it's still scary to walk into a business where I have literally met nobody. And it was just a cold email. It's not my personality. Um, But every time I do it, I build the confidence to do it a little bit better the next time. So I think that kind of uh, this building the self-confidence and finding ways to educate yourself has been huge.
0: And what would you say to someone who's listening to this and thought it sounded great up until the cold call and they're like, huh I'm not, I can't do that. What would you say?
1: Oh man. Okay. Well, I would say if you apply for a job that is all cold calling, walk away. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's people, well, I guess it depends on how desperate you are for a job, but, um, I think co- like true cold calling jobs, which definitely exist in this world, burn people out really quickly. And so avoid that but don't avoid uh, the sales portion of any job completely. Like me, I've always, like I said, I have hated sales. I hate being sold to. And so for years I avoided it at all costs. And then when I was asked to do it, it was super scary until I started doing it and it's really not that bad. And it's amazing how, you know, when you're trying to sell something to somebody, if you're actively avoiding being salesy, it actually puts you in a better position because nobody likes you know, the classic sales approach. People wanna be loved and listened to and understood. And so if you take that approach, um, you actually have some success.
0: And also it must be comforting when you make that pitch, whether or not you're comfortable with quote unquote sales, it's the idea of you have a product you believe in and you genuinely believe that it can help. And so you're sharing your Genuine interest in helping that other person. So it's also, I would guess, a matter of framing it to yourself as we have a common interest. I can help you, and I want to tell you that I can help you, and I mean it. And so that might maybe take some of the fear away as you realize that you really are just helping people. It's not the typical car salesman that some people might be thinking of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that I always have to remember is that, you know, if I get this business or if I get this client, then that's an indefinite relationship. Like we could be in business together for the rest of my career. And so I shouldn't take that lightly. It's like you said, it's not like a car sale where, Hey, gave you a great deal. See you later or see you never. And it's just, it's just over. The transaction is over. No, as soon as the transaction is signed on my end, that's just the beginning. Then I really have to start proving myself. So that's helped too, to know, like, you know what, if they say no, that's fine. Um, you know, it's it's a big responsibility.
0: Dust yourself off, learn to take rejection a little bit lighter. But also, I think that's a great point on the long-term nature of the job that can give companies security is it's not a hit and run. I will be with you and share in your wins and losses. Final question. What do you wish you knew when you were applying for jobs originally that you know now?
1: Oh, man. I I did a really bad job of taking <laughs> internships. And the way to phrase it would be, you know, when you when you see somebody that's in a job that you're curious about, I didn't reach out to those people and ask questions. Like I kind of had a one track mindset of like, I'm either gonna do this or do this. And I didn't actually get out of my bubble. And I know that Davidson does a really good job of bringing in companies and having, you know, social hours. And there's also an incredible alumni network, which is why I think this podcast is so cool because Davidson is crazy in how it spits people out to go in all kinds of directions. And so like Bye. honestly, if this podcast had existed, I wish I could have listened to episodes and just heard different perspectives. I think that talking to folks from a variety of industries while at the ranch helped me a ton. And so I would say to any senior, yeah, it's great to go to the social hours and meet the companies. Um, but remember that you're being sold to they want, you know, you're you're a product to them in a way. Um, it's also great to go get internships like that's a fantastic option for just getting experience and learning corporate culture. Um, but I think the biggest thing is talk to as many people as you can just like go talk to your your parents and ask them about their jobs. As something that like until I started working with my dad, I didn't understand half of what he did. Um,
0: so, relatable. <laughs>
1: so I think, yeah, most people kind of discount the wealth of knowledge that's directly surrounding them and dig into that. You might never, you know, be a nurse like your sister is, but after talking to her, you might realize that you don't want to be a nurse.
0: <laughs> and that knowledge is also power of narrowing it down is both figuring out what direction sounds good, but also sounds bad because they both point you and steer totally. you.
1: To that last point, I will say that just communicating clearly and having just kind of a a baseline layer of etiquette goes a really long way. So like the way that you, Heidi, reached out to me on LinkedIn and then just very simply sent me some times that were available, like that helps a ton. When if you reach out to somebody and kind of give a lending hand and say, hey, I'd love to talk in the next two weeks. Here's a few windows that are open for me. That means the world instead of putting it on on them to kind of make that first step so great job thank you so much for the invitation and i'm really excited to to